the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, let's get things going today. We've got some great stuff we'll talk about. In fact, I did a little bit of a video earlier today. If you go to my Twitter feed or at uh, Facebook or anywhere, you'll see the title was Kim Kardashian uh, I don't know, Kim Kardashian is leading us, why she matters or something. So we'll talk with Michael Volpe, my friend, about his Substack, uh, his Substack, uh, Michael Volpe at michaelvolpe.substack.com, where he does investigative journalism and particularly interesting on wrongfully convicted folks and how skewed the uh, justice system is. Um, he's a very interesting man, interesting journalist. You'll want to listen to that interview and check it out. Uh, and uh, the video also, if you get a chance to do it. So uh, please do. We also will have a chance today to visit and catch up with a new guest, Pastor Brian Hawkins. Pastor Brian Hawkins, is African-American, conservative, an elected official for the San Jacinta City Council in California. And he's for school choice for his kids and your kids, anybody else's kids. Very interesting man. We'll talk with him. But first, what do you need to know today? What do you need to know? What you need to know? Today's wink. What you need to know. And what you need to know today is Rand Paul is doing it again. Rand Paul is doing it again. What's he doing? Well, he's just leading fearlessly in the face of uh, basically all the power. He does this a lot. Now, Rand Paul was elected to the U.S. Senate, and you say, well, Rand Paul, Ron Paul, his dad was a famous congressman, uh, really ignited a national movement, the Ron Paul movement, Dr. Ron Paul, congressman from Texas. He self, people don't realize, he, he term limited himself. Ron Paul did. Dr. Ron Paul, congressman from Texas. He left Congress because he said he was going to serve term limits. And then he was gone for a term or two, and he said, you know what? I could do more in office. And he went back in office. I know this pretty well. The late Phyllis Schlafly was a good friend of his. He was a great guy. So people think, well, Rand Paul was running on his dad's uh, uh, coattails. Not really. First of all, he didn't run in Texas. He went up to Kentucky where he was practicing medicine, and he ran there, and he ran against the entire establishment. Uh, Trey Grayson, I think that's his name, might be getting it wrong. Uh, he was the Secretary of State of Kentucky, and Rand Paul ran against him. Had never served in public office, ran and won uh, 2010, and he's been in office ever since. And when he needs to, he stands up for what he believes in against his own party, against the press, against everybody. He's really extraordinary, and I've said it before. I, I like him a lot. I know him really well. He's really a neat guy. And, um, and of course, he's actually stood up in the face of in- insanity, lunatic violence. He was on the baseball field when he, it was shot up by that uh, lunatic MSNBC watcher who uh, actually almost killed Steve Scalise. Rand was there. He was on the field. And then Rand Paul was, of course, attacked by his neighbor, who was a crazy and never anti-Trumper or whatever. The guy has ended up, I don't know if he went to jail, but he was convicted of assault. He, he, he attacked uh, Rand Paul viciously and, and nearly killed him, to be honest. 
Anyway, Rand Paul is fearless. So what's he doing now? Well, in the fever that is the swamp, any chance you get a crisis, find a way to solidify power. In this case, all the powers that be that want to believe that the war in the Ukraine is a, is an opportunity to do more damage and to hammer people, they are now taking away a favored trade status from Russia. Well, fair enough. There's a war ongoing. I guess fair enough. I think it should be debated, and it is being debated. But they tucked into the bill an expansion of the power of what's called the Magnitoski Act. This was pushed by McCain, John McCain, and it basically says that the president gets to put sanctions on other nations based on human rights violations. Well, you say that sounds pretty good, right? If you if you discover that a nation and its president or its dictator are slaughtering the innocents, I don't know, like a, a like a concentration camp, like the Chinese are doing to the Uyghurs, I don't know, maybe you're allowed to put sanctions on them as president. It doesn't sound bad, except the expansion of that law, which is in the current omnibus bill on the Ukraine war that everybody's supposed to just salute and say, yes, 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 we must pass it. Rand said, wait a second. Why are we expanding the power of the presidency to declare what they think is human rights violations? Because this president has been pretty clear. Transgender sports, human right. Abortion, human right. So are you going to have a president who's able to slap sanctions on other nations for reasons that are, you know, kind of far afield in many of people's opinion? In fact, it's the opposite. I might I might want to I might want to put sanctions on a nation that has abortion. What if a nation had abortion up until nine months of pregnancy or what if they had infant infanticide? Would we be able to slap? Anyway, my point here is Rand Paul has used his power. And what you need to know is in Washington, in the swamp, a single House member has very little power. If he or she is very senior in seniority, been around for decades, they may have authority because they're the head of a committee. But really, you're only a power when you're a House member is to vote for speaker and then get the heck out of the way. That's what happens. Because you can vote against the bill. Tom Massey voted against some of the big spending, you know, congressman from Kentucky, but you, you can't really change it. And the, the Speaker of the House is the, is, the, is the only dictator in American political life. But in the Senate, every senator is a dictator. Every senator can really slow things down. He or she can stop appointments. He or she can muck up the calendar. And the only thing that actually gets them to move the calendar sometimes is that they're all pals with each other and they go and kind of lean on each other. And that's what they're trying to do now. Because Rand Paul has said, hey, separate the bill Make it about Russian trade and about the Human Rights uh, Magnitoski Act. Separate them. Make it two different bills. And I don't mind. We can pass the uh, the Russian bill. And here, oh, here, here, let me clarify. If you're a senator, you're expected to sign on to unanimous consent. And then things can pass through in an hour or two or five hours. But if you want to, you can be king and you can say, or queen, I'm going to stop that. And you object. And if you object to unanimous consent, everything slows down. There's actually a calendar. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to wait this many things. And so what the pressure becomes from your colleagues is don't slow things down. We really want things to move ahead. Don't ever slow things down. We want them to plow ahead on our schedule. And Rand said, yeah, I don't think so. And he's getting grief in the article that I put up on social media in Politico. He's getting grief, more grief from Republicans. John Thune, who is in the leadership, uh, 
forget who the second one was. Republicans said, oh, man, you know, I mean, I don't know. I Oh, uh, Senator Crapo, or is it Crapo, Crapo, Crapo? It's pronounced, it's written Crapo. I think it's Crapo. I don't know. Anyway, whatever the name is from out west, uh, he, he's complaining. But those are Republicans. And they're complaining because Rand Paul is standing up and saying, wait a second, more power for the executive branch, more power for the president? I don't know about that. And here's the thing with Rand. What you need to know is he's consistent on this stuff. It doesn't mean I always agree with him. He's a little soft on some of the things like, I think he's for more of the um, uh, drug legalization. That's kind of a libertarian-leaning position. He's a little bit more lenient on some of the immigration stuff than I am. But that's a preference on a scale, on on a sort of sliding scale. I can see that. But he's fearless when he decides that something's wrong and he stands up for it. It's extraordinary. It's, it's really, first of all, it's really cool to see. And second of all, I find myself persuaded a lot that he's right. By the way, there is a corollary. Let me say this. Uh, I mentioned Tom Massey. Congressman Massey actually um, drove from Kentucky to the House and forced a vote on uh, the budget in a similar way. This sort of similar. And if you, ha- if you hate these people, they say, oh, Massey's grandstanding, Rand's grandstanding. They're eventually going to be the votes. But Rand's point is, he, Rand's point is he's making a point. And, and Massey's point is he's making a point. And the point is the Constitution. And the point is that, you know, there's a reason to discuss this. And here's what you need to know. I'll finish with this. What the swamp loves, what the swamp loves, whether it's a crisis of war, a crisis of the economy, 2008, a crisis of the pandemic, 2019 and 20, 2021, or a, a, a current war situation. They love to use it as a way to consolidate the power and put the power in places where it's unchecked by we the people too often. That's what you need to know. All right, we got to run. Be right back. Ed Martin here on a ProMerica Report. Go to ProMericaReport.com. I'll put up that article by Rand, about Rand Paul and what's going on, and we'll have a lot more after the break. Be right back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I've been looking forward to this interview for a few days now. Uh, our next guest is Pastor Brian Hawkins, and he um, I, he came to my attention because he has uh, been leading on the Educational Freedom Act, which in California, it's a school choice effort, an effort to say, hey, give the kids a chance to go where they know, where their parents know, where they can get a better education. And Pastor Brian Hawkins, who is a pastor, obviously, and a father, um, as is saying, hey, uh, the public school has, a fa- has um, failed his son and other kids. What can we do about it? And more importantly than anything, it looks like more and more people in California, citizens are saying, hey, give us a choice, give us a choice. So first of all, welcome, uh, Pastor Hawkins. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, and uh, thank you for having me on here. I'm really excited and looking forward to this. Well, thank you for coming on. And CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org is a great website, great resource. You can find out more and sign a petition. So first of all, Pastor Hawkins, um, explain why you took the leader, uh, took a leadership role in terms of raising your voice. Explain how you got there. Well, um, the first part you said earlier, I'm, I'm a father. Uh, I have children uh, that are in elementary school. And so I'm extremely concerned uh, about my children's education, about their future. Um, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, my children have access to the knowledge and the tools that they're going to need to succeed in life. You know, you, you hear the no child left behind 
but oftentimes you, you you never talk about the adults that are left behind once they graduate. You know, mm-hmm. reading an article a few few months ago about a young lady that graduated from high school and said she didn't even know how to read. And that's a common thing. There's so many kids that are, you know, especially African-American and Latino young men and women that are, you know, barely reading above fourth grade proficiency. Um, I always think about that TV show, Smarter Than the Fifth Grader. Uh, <laughs> that, and it, it makes sense. You know, they were really poking fun at the public school system. You know, and so my children, you know, they deserve someone that's going to get in the ring and fight for their education. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Pastor uh, Brian Hawkins, and um, we're talking about the effort in, in, in many states. It seems like the one, or maybe there's more than one, but one positive thing that came out of the pandemic period was parents looked a little closer at their kids' school. And in a lot of places, they came away saying, hey, I I want more. I want better decisions. I want things to be made differently. And again, if you go to CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org, you'll see more about this. But so tell me about this this act uh, in California, the Educational Freedom Act. What would it do? What does it mean? How are you finding people's perception and interest? Well, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's become political. Right. Uh, sad thing. Um, you know, when you look at the grades across the state, California being one of the fifth, sixth largest economy, all depends on, you know, where you get your stats from. Right. But they're one of the largest economies <clears throat> in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. But their public school system currently ranks 43rd. And, and, and that's, that's not a good statement. That's not a good place to be. Um, and, and so just to kind of make sure people understand this, one, it's not taking money from public schools. It's money that's already available. It's not asking for a t- tax increase. It's money from the Prop 98 funds uh, that is allocated. As a matter of fact, a couple of years ago, uh, it was enough to give, you know, you know, $12,500 per student. But it goes up because this is money that has already been allocated. It's basically saying, okay, there's, you know, over you know, a few billion dollars set aside for children's education. You divide it up by how many kids, about 6 million kids in the public school system. So when you take the money that's coming out of Prop 98 and you divide it by every child, it comes about $14,000 per student. And so we're, we're saying is, okay, parents should be allowed to send their kids to the school that's going to best benefit them, not what the school is saying is going to benefit them. Parents, you know, they sit and talk with their kids. They know the kid's future. My son you know, he wants to be a pilot. He's in the eighth grade. I mean, he's a, he's an eight year old. He right. wants to be a pilot. Right. We put him in a school that has aviation program. Right. That, that school best fit for him. And so it's money that's allocated and it creates an educational savings account. So if you don't use the entire $14,000, it rolls over into a bonnet and a child can use that when they graduate from high school and they can take that into college or accredited trade school. Uh, we're, again, we're talking with uh, Pastor Brian Hawkins and uh, Pastor Hawkins, um, pardon me, I can't find my notes fast enough. You you currently are you currently on uh, the city council? Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, and, sir. And, I- and, and so you're in a leadership position already in the city council. How's the response to this? In other words, you know, for you, and I, I'm not sure why it matters, but I'll say you happen to be African-American. I mean, maybe you have such a manly voice. People just thought you were a man. But I mean, there you have it. And so how have you found the response? Because it, it it's always seemed like 
a mixture, an odd mixture, some inner city Democrats, but not many. And then lots of uh, free market Republicans seem to like school choice. But after that, you get establishment Republicans who get antsy. They, they like their public schools and you get Democrats who are in, enthralled with the teachers union. How, how have you found the reception to a real demand for school choice? So it all depends on who you ask and you uh-huh. hit the, you know, if I ask somebody that's connected to the teachers union, obviously this is a threat, you right. know, that thing, because it's a threat to the teachers union, not to the <clears throat> academics of the students. And and that like there should be the biggest problem. You know, why would the teachers union have a problem with opening up schools, teaching children, you know, stuff that they're really going to need for the future, you know, not you know, just attendance. And I, I tell people like, you know, I feel like public schools now are more concerned with attendance than they are with academics. Uh, you know, I've talked to some teachers, a lot of teachers feel handicapped in the classroom because they want to be creative. They want to teach. A lot of teachers, you know, are, you know, upset that they got to teach what legislators are saying, teach, you know, teach this hypersexual education, you right. know, teach, you know, this racist theology. There's a, uh, there's a lot of teachers who would love that educational freedom. There are many teachers and educators that I come across that are applauding this. And I tell you, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, just make it on the ballot and get passed and the public school system try to get in on this because they know there, there are some superintendents. I've talked to them that, you know, don't like the direction of the school, but they're bound by the union. They're bound by, you know, the lawyers they are bound by, you know, you know, special interest groups, but there are some superintendents. We had a great superintendent in my, in my school district here in San Jacinto. You know, right. she recently let go a couple of years ago because she was doing something very innovative with the students and, and they just didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when you, when you kick against the, the, the wall or you kick against the, you know, special interests of the powers yeah. that be, you know, and you're not focused on the children, we have a problem. Yeah. Uh, again, we're talking with uh, Pastor Brian Hawkins, uh, serves on the city council uh, in California, San Jacinto, I think it is, and uh, also a candidate for Congress, I think. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, I'm trying to fight all the way as far as I yeah. can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's great. I mean, I, I, I especially applaud the fact that uh, uh, you're a pastor who has taken that step into, uh, into the uh, arena, as we say. Uh, what do you think in this moment, in this moment in American life, what do you think it's going to take for more people, people of color, maybe, but not only people just in socioeconomic is more than anything. The people that pay the I, I come from St. Louis, Missouri, our city schools, our urban schools. Most of the kids that suffered are black and, and brown. But the fact is that in the country, the people who get failed by our schools are poor. That's generally because if you're rich, you can buy your way out or you can move. Uh, but what do you think it's going to take to shatter some of the political uh uh clubbiness you know that you know you're supposed to if you if you think it's uh you know you're supposed to vote democrat if you're black or you're supposed to you know vote republican if you're pro-life how, how can we change that well you know it's it's really going to take individuals to take a hard look at the public school system's performance yeah and, and to really see with an unbiased eyes of hey you know the schools is really not helping children be prepared for life. And you hear this conversation and it's, and it's really interesting. You hear this conversation in the African-American community. You hear this in the Hispanic community. The problem is, is that you have elected officials that people have grown to trust and like, 
and they're, you know, this, we're working on it, or, you know, the Republicans are hindering progress. And so as long as you have individuals that are in office that are justifying why we can't fix it, you know, here it is in California where the legislation since 1956 has been all Democrat. We're a super majority, yet and still they're able to convince people that it's the Republicans that's holding up progress. That's mm-hmm. impossible in a super majority state. We're, we're above a filibuster. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> but individuals, a lot of people, because civics is not being taught, yeah. people don't know law. People don't know that California is a super majority. People don't know. They're just assuming that the, the, the six million Republicans in the state of California that is 39 million people. They're saying the six million Republicans is holding up progress. It's, it's, it's impossible. There's not enough legislators in the House and in the Senate to hold up progress in the state of California. But so it's going to take, I, I believe, and, 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 and I say this, my election has so much historical value to it. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I have a story myself. You know, I went from, you know, being incarcerated to being an elected official to endorsed mm-hmm. by the sheriff of Riverside County, the DA of Riverside County, the state GOP. So that right there is a historical story. So imagine someone like me with my story, African-American man, a pastor, pastors, a trusted, what well, used to be strongly trusted position in the church, but that's right. even, even yeah. right. but, but it's going to take someone like myself that comes and stand against the Jesse Jacksons and the Al Sharptons and, and the constant rhetoric that has kept black people and Hispanic people in the same rut for years. Well, I tell you this, it's exciting to hear and most exciting also to hear the project progress on even speaking loudly and clearly on the Educational Freedom Act in the California legislature, uh, getting people saying, hey, we can do better. Again, CaliforniaSchoolChoice.org. I will also put up on social media. You have an unbelievable ad uh, from runaway slaves to running for Congress on your YouTube channel. And I'll put that up, too. <laughs> and uh, and we, we as you said, you know, the, 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 our stories, where we come from um, are important. Right. But also. Uh, uh, I think for our nation, it's kind of uh, we're growing and, and, and we're changing in some really good ways. So thanks for taking the time. We'll have you back on again. We'll be in touch. And uh, I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. God bless you. All right. Thank you, sir. All right, everyone, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. I'll put that up on it's Pastor Brian Hawkins. Extraordinary uh, uh, conversation, but also extraordinary uh, background. And and as he mentioned, uh, uh, and also on his YouTube channel, really uh, something to see. I'll put it all up on social media. And you can check out this interview again and pass it on to your friends at ProAmericaReport.com. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. My friend, Michael Volpe, the investigative journalist, uh, he's over at Substack, uh, michaelvolpe.substack.com. There is a lot of there there um, in lots of ways, lots of uh, things being Michael writes about, investigates, digs deep into. So welcome back, Michael. How are you? Good. How's it going with you? Doing fine. Doing fine. So um, we talked, we had an exchange on email um, about wrongful convictions so mm-hmm. before we get into some specifics, the broad question, um, a couple of years ago, Sidney Powell, who is uh, famous uh, for lots of reasons now, the Michael Flynn case, as well as uh, General Flynn's case, as well as um, uh, after January 6th, I suppose, or the election cases. But she wrote a book with Harvey Silvergate called Conviction Machine. And she said st- the title was Standing Up to Federal Prosecutorial Abuse. Um, and the news has covered 
you know, things like the FBI and, and texts and FISA uh, applications being manipulated. Um, as a threshold question, is it worse now than ever, or are we getting to the bottom of it or getting more transparency on, on abuses, Michael? No, I, I really think similarly to family court, CPS, and that sort of thing, it's not that it's worse. It's that the people this is happening to are able to get more of their stories out. And I think more of it is covered, so it seems like it's worse. But no, I, probably the abuse has actually gone down a little bit because it's it, all of these things have received more coverage. Uh, and look, as far as wrongful convictions, whatever you think of her, but Kim Kardashian has actually done an enormous amount. And she knows things a lot more than skin deep. She actually meets with people in prison to bring this this issue forward. She did a lot for a guy named Rodney Reed. You can look him up and, and others. Uh, but she's raised an enormous amount of awareness for this. So, again, we're talking with Michael Volpe. And uh, if you go to Michael's um, uh, Substack, it's Michael Volpe and V-O-L-P-E dot Substack dot com. I'll put it up on social media, too. Um, I, st- I want to stay here for one second on this line. Um, if it's not worse and maybe it's better because there's more transparency, um, it is because there's more transparency. It is more shocking. Um, and people are, are shocked by it because they see it now. And, uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, some of your other uh, work and, and uh, the late Phyllis Schlafly in her book, Who Killed the American Family, wrote about the family court system and the abuses. And, and, and it, it reminds me of um, someone came up to me once and said, in the 1970s, and 80s, I voted for my congressman because I never knew how he voted because the votes got published three weeks later or five weeks later. Now I see it in real time and I'm uh, appalled. So something's changed. But does the outrage translate into action and into uh, reversals and into corrective uh, actions or justice, or does it cause an outrage, get some attention, and everybody moves on? You know, sometimes it leads to action, but actually, even with enormous attention, that Rodney Reed case is a great example. Anybody who's examined that case at all knows he didn't do it. That guy's been in jail for more than two decades. It was her live-in boyfriend. All the evidence points to, I can't remember the guy's name, but her live-in boyfriend, uh, the murder victim, that is. And they've kept that guy in jail. Um, led by Kim Kardashian, an enormous amount of uh, media attention was drawn to this case a couple of years ago. They stopped him from being executed. It looked like there was going to be a good appeal, but then the appeal was denied. He's still on death row. He's still in jail. And so even with an, an enormous amount of media attention, usually it doesn't necessarily change the outcome of the court case. And that's because inside the appeals court, which is where this would all be determined, that the media doesn't play a role. It's between the judges and the lawyers and whatever they come up with. And so short of less extreme media attention, usually it doesn't necessarily have that much of an effect. Mm. Uh, again, we're talking with Michael Volpe, and, and I'll put his Substack up on uh, on social media. Uh, Michael, um, when we had our exchange, we talked about wrongful convictions. Um, again, for, let's get into some of these. But is this problem? Um, well, uh, why is it? Why isn't it um, more acceptable to find a wrongful conviction and get it figured out? Because everybody fights. I know, know, look, everybody says they're innocent and everybody's, you know, everybody's innocent of everything. Right. But it feels like it doesn't actually happen that often. And it can't be when I read your stuff, I say, well, there's a lot of mistakes or a lot of intimidation or a lot of misleading uh, conduct. And it doesn't seem to change much. 
Right. Look, one of the guys that, that hopefully we'll talk about, his name is Randall Rahr. He's convicted of a very serious child pornography, child molestation charge. Yeah. Who, who wants to stand up for that guy? Yeah. Tracy uh, Martin, another guy I want to talk about, first degree murder. Robert Miller is convicted of supposedly hiring a hitman to, to kill his then girlfriend. These are convictions. Right. Uh, how many people want to risk their reputation and everything? stand up for a guy convicted of this stuff. But see, when you examine these things, there's all kinds of problems with our justice system. First of all, the whole thing is predicated on plea deals. You could, there's a lot of literature on this. A lot of, a lot of innocent people plead guilty. Why? Because the prosecution might say something like, if you don't plea, we're going to go for everything. If we get a conviction 20 years, now why don't you just take the two years? Right. Do you want to risk it even if you're innocent? Um, how many people know that eyewitness testimony is the weakest form of evidence? So juries go in, see two people uh, identify someone and think that's strong evidence. When in reality, when you get down to it, eyewitness testimony, I got that from a guy named Jeff Deskowick, who is an exonerated. He was definitely wrongfully convicted. And he hmm. told me that the Innocence Project found that one in four people who have been exonerated falsely confessed. Uh, and then there's prosecutorial misconduct, the, the things that, that uh, oh, my God, I can't remember her name, you brought up at the beginning, Cindy Powell. Yeah. Uh, no, withholding evidence is called a Brady violation. You had me on yep. a couple years ago about yeah. Brady versus Maryland. I, I, suborning perjury, that's not as common, but definitely uh, coercing people into giving testimony um, another one, and oh goodness, I don't know if I've got his name. Oh, Robert Reynolds. Yeah, that's so, the one. That's the one. That's one I'm looking at right now, actually, on your okay. Substack. So, yeah, walk me through that one. That's a good example of what you're talking about. So, so at first glance, this guy looks pretty guilty. He's got a pretty long rap sheet. Uh, he was convicted of drug trafficking, and, and he has a drug trafficking conviction in his past. But on the other hand, it's been a while besides this conviction since he was convicted. How did he get convicted? Three people who had drugs found on them then cooperated with the law enforcement, and it was entirely their testimony. Now, the first book I wrote was called Prosecutors Gone Wild, The Trial of Chuck Benici, John Gliatoni, and Louise Marshall. And Chuck was a powerful mayor who was convicted primarily based on the testimony of three people. All of them got deals. There was no evidence. He was all like taking bribes, but there was no evidence besides somebody getting on the stand and saying he took the bribe. Right. And it's actually surprising to me that you could be on a jury and hear someone testify and say, I'm only here because I committed a crime and I was going to do X number of years and now I'm going to do Y. And in exchange, I'm going to testify. And you find that to be strong evidence if you're a juror, because it's a bribe. To me, that's a bribe. Yeah. If the government is saying we'll knock off 10 years off your sentence to testify. It's how is that different than just giving you a hundred grand? So uh, Chuck got convicted. Reynolds got convicted in the same way. And um, if you look at it, there's a lot of convictions where the primary or all of the evidence was people testifying against them and they were given deals. Uh, the jurors, I think a, lo a lot of jurors really don't understand that your job isn't to figure out, do you think he did or she did it? Did the government need its burden of proving the case beyond a reasonable doubt. If they didn't, that, then you vote not guilty. It's not, it's not your fault if, if a guilty person walks, if the prosecution didn't meet its burden. 
So um, what, ha- what, what happens, Michael Volpe? Again, we're talking about Michael Volpe, the investigative journalist, and, again, and his Substack has a lot of interesting stuff, um, including a piece on Christopher Ray when he was a young prosecutor. Um, what happens when the system gets off balance? I mean, I don't think anybody, when they watch um, Kevin Costner in uh, what's the famous Al Capone movie called, uh, you know, with the Elliot Ness, um, right. nobody, no, no, uh, the Untouchables, the Untouchables, by the, nobody really gets too worked up, at least in the Hollywood. Hollywood version that we sort of just use the IRS against Capone because we wanted Capone gone. But if you're Capone or his family, you say, what are you doing here? You're claiming he was this and this is all you've got. Uh, but my point here is that that at least was sort of Hollywood. And now we're all the way to this moment where the system looks off balance. The system that allows so much power, so much influence uh, over life and liberty uh, in the federal prosecutor's hands, it's 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 all it's off kilter, right? Lady Justice is off kilter. What do you do about it, Michael? You must have thought about what you do about it, right? It's it's difficult. And state prosecutors, district attorneys, assistant district attorneys, and I'll I'll repeat again: the main problem is the whole system is predicated on these plea deals. So the prosecutors right. are determined to get you to plea. And if you don't, I covered a case a few years ago, John Juca, G-I-U-C-A, and he refused a plea deal. And they brought in this very aggressive prosecutor. Her name is Anna Siganikolazi, and she did everything she could to get him convicted. Very unethical things. He's been sitting in jail for 20 years. Clearly, he didn't do it. Um, and uh, and it's basically in part to send a message to anybody else who's thinking about exercising their constitutional right to a jury trial. Prosecutors don't have the resources to take everything to a trial. They have to do plea deals. But um, the first thing is the not the federal prosecutors, but the state prosecutors, the DAs are are elected. And a lot of this stuff, it's it's based on the tone they set. Uh, they, is their priority to be ethical? Meaning, do they give all of the evidence that that they're supposed to give? Do they coerce confessions? Do they suborn perjury? That all comes from the top. Is is the main priority to get convictions or to, or to run an ethical office? And you, as a voter, uh, what are your priorities when you're voting for these people? Do you want someone who's touting their convictions or touting their ethics? So it, I, I think it ultimately has to come down to the voters who are picking these district attorneys. And guess what? Most of you listening probably have no idea that, that a district attorney gets voted on. You probably have no idea who you voted for last time, probably whoever is from your party. Um, so it's, it's more about education and civics uh, from from the like the citizens point of view from the justice system's point of view there's such an emphasis on getting convictions on getting pleas that there is no emphasis on being ethical and doing it right so the anna siganekolazi who was very unethical now she's got a show on id she was rewarded she's 35 and oh i have no idea how many of those 35 convictions she got she got through nefarious sources definitely uh, Juca, there's a, a couple more going around. So who knows how often she did unethical things. Look, you talked about Chris Ray at the beginning of his career. There's a guy in a prison that's basically a black site. His name is Robert Ethan Miller. And one of the people who convicted uh, Miller, he's now recanted. And he said that 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 Ray put put the squeeze on me, that he was determined to get me to testify against this guy. In that case, what happened was Miller and a couple of other guys were were working on a small drug deal in in prison, and the main player Troy Plant got into some trouble. 
if he flips on the drug deal, that's not enough. So he came up with a story. He now says in multiple affidavits that, mm. that really what Miller did was he uh, he we were plotting to kill his girlfriend or something like that. And um, there were two. There was one other person who testified, and then one other person who wanted to who didn't. And all three of them have now put together affidavits saying that 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 this was inaccurate. However, one of the guys, the gay Hinson. He testified. His affidavit is from 2017. Yeah. Remarkably, he died in 2016. I can't explain why that happened. <laughs> I, I, I want, wow, it was that's very good that, that I caught that, it. That I is, would have looked, <laughs> look foolish, but Plant was the main guy against him. He's put in multiple affidavits now saying that's not true. Uh-huh. You you get rewarded <laughs> for convictions or plea deals for winning. And right. If 15 years down the road. Uh, you happen to get busted with something you did. It, it usually doesn't really affect your mm. career. That woman in a sick in the closet is a great example. She uh, she parlayed her successful prosecutorial career into now a successful mm. TV career. It, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Michael Volpe, again, if you go to Michael's Substack, there's a lot of there there. Uh, MichaelVolpe.substack.com. It's one of the best parts of this whole moment in history that um, you can get these kinds of journalists here. So you should go read his stuff and support him. He's got a whole lot there. I got to run, Michael. I will put up on social media these uh, some of this stuff and think more about it. I think this topic, it's an interesting time because I think a lot of folks – uh, Trump helped do it by having his uh, uh, criminal justice reform. Some of it uh, made conservatives and others stop and think. And as you point out, Kardashian and all, uh, it's an interesting time. All right. Uh, but thank you. Thanks, Michael, for being on. Thank you for having me. All right. We'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up there uh, for the Daily Wink. And also you can listen to this segment again uh, with Michael Volpe. Be right back. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. A daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by honoring family values, opposing radical feminism, and representing a conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Christians in the state of Michigan and throughout the nation can take a much-needed sigh of relief following a huge victory for St. Vincent Catholic Charities. St. Vincent and other ministries place thousands of children in loving homes throughout Michigan. But the state took offense with these ministries' preference for placing children in homes with both a mother and a father. A settlement agreement was filed in federal court between the Consortium of Charities and the state, which allows religious child placement charities to openly practice their religious faith in the public sphere. Though the ministries were completely within their legal rights under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution and a 2015 Michigan law protecting conscious exemptions, a federal court battle ensued anyway. This is a classic tactic of the left. Even when they're clearly in the wrong, they engage in an endless litany of lawfare to squelch their ideological opponents. No mercy is given even when their adversary is a nonprofit ministry helping needy children. Just as the Bible instructs us, we must all count the cost when choosing to make a stand for our faith. Even in a nation as free as America, the active Christian life has consequences. However, we should never let that discourage us from doing what's right. St. Vincent Catholic Charities was right to make the stand that they did. Thanks to their courage, others like them throughout the state will be able to continue the vital work that they do in their ministries. 
There are thousands of children throughout the nation that need child placement agencies to connect them with loving families. The absolute best place for these children are homes that have both a mother and a father. Few callings could be higher than helping a child in need to find a place to call home and people to call family. This calling from God should be fully protected under the right to freely exercise our religion. And that's why I applaud the courage of St. Vincent Catholic Charities. All men and women of faith should show such fearlessness. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, President of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Freedom of worship and the right to express our faith and read our Bibles is foundational to America. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to track mounting threats to the free exercise of religion and equip you to fight back. Your defense begins at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Got to finish up fast again. I'm sorry to do that to you. Hey, um, Substack, Substack.com. One of the cool things that's happening in this uh, world right now is other places for people to write. Uh, locals.com is a site where you can uh, see lots of videos, uh, uh, subscription-based. Substack, subscription-based. Uh, I have to say, I don't actually, I, don't, I, I, don't, I think on Substack, I don't know, I don't think I subscribe to any of the paid Substack, but I do watch uh, Taibi, Matt Taibi, Glenn Greenwald uh, over on Locals. I guess I go in. Um, General Flynn's got one. I think it's free still. A lot of these ones, you know, I, I haven't signed up for subscriptions myself, but they're valuable. It's great that we have this going and lots of these things happening. And the wild card is Elon Musk keeps talking about maybe starting his own uh, social media of something or other. Who knows what that would be like. That would be cool. So, all right, got out of time, got to go. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our great producer. Joanna Spilger, associate producer. Thank you all for listening. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, check in there. Be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.